Can I maybe ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 1? And you are probably, if you're like myself, you're starting going through your Bible plan at the beginning of the year, and the New Year's resolution is actually I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and so on. So you started in Genesis 1, and probably in the New Testament it will be Matthew 1 or maybe Luke 1, but Luke 1, but let's read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. I was just looking around, different type of New Year celebration, and I read that in Ecuador, they've got these things called monigotes. Monigotes, they are basically like paper mache type of uh, sculptures that are made, and on New Year's Eve, they basically set them alight to burn the past so that they can enter into the new year on a kind of on a new footing. And those, those money, money, money gutters are, are sometimes made into the shape of a famous footballer, footballer or maybe like a... I, I even saw Mario, remember? If you are kind of my age, you know Mario, that Mario, that little game that we used to play. Yeah, Mario. So they made Mario and burn. I don't know why you'll burn Mario. <laughs> but what made kind of sense, they will also make, you know, uh, kind of faces of, of, of running politi- or maybe current politicians that haven't performed well and then they will actually set them alight. <laughs> so if you are a politician and you're actually among us, this is not Ecuador, so <laughs> you are safe. They will also wear yellow underwear and red underwear. And apparently in Italy it's the same thing. You also wear red underwear. So there's, there's, there's no Italian in our midst, so we're not going to labor that point. But maybe yellow will, fit, will be fitting for sundown, Mamelodi sundown supporters. You know, go and help yourself. Then there's, uh, in Spain, they will, they will eat 12 grapes to basically wish good luck on the 12 months of the, of the year. In Scotland, they will, the wish will be that the first person that will cross the doorstep shouldn't be blonde <laughs> because the Vikings were blonde and the Vikings attacked Scotland so basically, if somebody comes to you and is blonde, it's already like the whole year will be like the Viking invading you. In Denmark, in Denmark they will actually play, uh, break plates to basically break any bad luck of the previous year. So they break plates. So the, the bigger the hip of plates in front of, I mean, in front of, your, of your yard meant that actually you dealt with the past. So th- there's actually like excitement over New Year's because we are wanting a new beginning. So there's actually the significance of today is that each and every one of us, whether we know we want it or not, we, we actually we are desiring. Whether we know it or not, we are desiring a new beginning. And there's no way that we can hope for a new beginning if we don't go to the beginning and find out how does God start things. 
So that's why we read Genesis 1. In the beginning. In fact, I wouldn't even read the whole sentence. In the beginning, I'll just say, in the beginning, God. And that is enough. Because in the beginning means first, God. Before God, there's actually nothing that we can talk about. In fact, saying that before God, there is nothing is wrong. In the beginning, God means that God was before nothing. It wasn't nothing that was before God, that actually God was before nothing. Before nothing existed, God was already there. We don't know his beginning because he's first. In the beginning, God. And one could actually stop there and just that unfinished sentence will be able to explain the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the, the, uh, the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless. And the word there is tohu. The, the earth was full of confusion, formless, full of confusion. It was a place of chaos. In the beginning, a place of chaos. In the beginning, first God, and then God was in a place of chaos. The earth was formless, the earth was empty, dark. The word is actually bohu in Hebrew, in Hebrew which is vacuity or a vacuum, nothing. In the beginning, first God and then God was with nothing. Place of nothingness, place of chaos. And those are the two points that we're going to look at. God preceded the concept of nothingness. They asked somebody, in fact, I did the test on my, on my wife as I was preparing this. What is nothing? What's the definition of nothing? You say the definition of nothing is the absence of something, but then you had to bring in something to define nothing. How can you define nothing without bringing in anything? It is very difficult to define nothing. Very difficult. They asked somebody else, what is nothing? And he thought, I mustn't bring in anything, but what would be the best way of defining nothing? And he said, nothing is what the rocks think about. <laughs> he had to bring in rocks, but at least he's getting closer to the answer. So you look at a piece of, maybe a piece of, of actually rocks, and then what they are thinking about is actually nothing. So to define nothing, you see that the difficulty to define nothing, we have to start with something because and the reality of us as human beings, it's impossible to start with nothing. But God started with nothing in his hand. God started with nothing. I mean, for us, people from Pretoria, it's like we're having a braai. Onsal Brai Vandag. And then this guy arrives. He's the Brai master. But you ask him, what have you got? No thongs. No, uh, no Brai stand. No J spices. No meat. What have you got? I've got nothing. You're actually going to look at the man and like, Niechman. What are you trying to tell us? But God showed up with nothing. 
He was first and he arrived with absolutely nothing. That's how God begins. He begins with nothing. When I arrived in South Africa, I have to go back to my beginning in this country to, to basically explain what I'm trying to say. I arrived here, it was my first time out of my country, and then I realized that I didn't have the privilege of having my, my dad on speed dial. We didn't have cell phones anyway. So when I was in trouble financially, it was very difficult to get hold of my dad. I didn't have an uncle in this place. I got invited by a cousin, and only to find out that as I arrived, he didn't have a job. So he, he provided me with accommodation, but then I, when I got into a room, I realized that it was a kitchen. So we were sleeping in a kitchen. So I had what I thought was, was nothing. But that's when God started revealing me that to me that you, you don't have nothing. You don't have nothing. All I have is a hallelujah. You don't have nothing. My God taught, showed me at that time that I took you out of your comfort zone where, where you could rely on your father, where you could rely on, on an uncle, where you could rely on a friend, where you could rely on, your, on a language. You know, your, 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 your English is, for, for, for most of us, your English is gone by 11 o'clock. But when I arrived in South Africa, my English was gone by 7 o'clock <laughs> because there was, there was nothing, I mean, of, of English in me. But that's how my life started. But I learned during that time the most valuable lesson of my life is that I'm never alone. I don't have nothing. I have a hallelujah. I have God who knows how to deal with nothing. Only him can deal with nothing. I don't, I don't have to rely on what I have. I didn't have to rely on what I had because I actually, I didn't even have enough. But I had the one that can deal with nothing, God. And from the time I arrived, I, I got that revelation until today. I know that I've got God. It's not like I don't, I don't have, I've got nothing. I always have God. If there's a time in our life where we think I've got nothing, but actually we don't have nothing. We always have God. Maybe you have got a healthy bank, I mean bank balance. I saw this picture of a very tall guy. Very, very tall guy. You know, social media now, people are just posting anything. Tall guy, and it was written at the bottom. Yeah, I enjoyed December, but look how long January is going to be. <laughs> look how long. January is going to be. This guy was so tall. So maybe we're starting the year, we're thinking, you know what, my bank balance is very low. And we might, we might think that we've got nothing, but the Father is saying now, you don't have nothing, you have got me. You have got me, and I can actually start. The whole world, the whole universe, I started it. I arrived on the scene with nothing, and, I, and look what I've done what I've done. Maybe you're also starting the year thinking, hey, you know what, actually, I do have something. The Bible will say, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. Whatever we have got, whatever we might have, whatever money we might have, 
It's a horse and it has a vain hope of deliverance. So actually having something doesn't help. Having much of something, having much of money is a vain hope of deliverance. In fact, we are in a most dangerous place if we put our trust in the much that we have. We'd rather have not that much so that we can turn our eyes onto God, the one that knows how to deal with nothing in his hand. Maybe you have a degree. A hope is a, I mean, a horse is a vain hope of deliverance. Maybe you've got beauty to make a monk stumble. <laughs> a horse is a vain hope of deliverance. Maybe you've got possessions. You're in control, you're on top of everything. But the Bible says, Psalm 33, 17 to 22, a horse is a vain hope of deliverance. You know, I learned this from from Rory during our building project, where we got to a place where there was actually no money. I mean, not not enough money to to finish a building, at least. He actually said, we are going to clear the deck. We're going to give away the little bit that we have got because we are stressed for not having enough money and we have actually taken our eyes off God and we are now worried because there's not enough to make us finish this building. Clear the deck, gave the money away and... That's what Psalm 33, verse 17 says. A horse is a vain hope of deliverance. The little bit that we had, actually, we had to give it away. And guess what? God, who knows how to deal with nothing, provided. And today we're sitting in a building that is completed, and it is debt-free. Why? Because we just shifted our eyes from looking at what we had or what we did not have to actually looking at what God is and what God has. That's what it means, starting a new beginning. A new beginning for us in 2024 is a call from God, is actually an exhortation, an appeal from God the Father to say, shift your eyes away from whatever you have or you do not have to actually fixing your eyes on me. Philip said in, in John 14 verse 8, Show us the Father, that will be enough. That will be sufficient. This will never be sufficient. Our possession will never be sufficient. Our money will never be sufficient. Our beauty will will never be beauty enough. But show us the Father, that will be enough and it will cover up for any other thing, any lack or excesses. The Father will always be more than whatever we have got. God preceded the concept of nothingness. And we don't live in that nothingness. We actually live in the fullness of the Father. We have got access to the Father. And even if all that we have is a hallelujah, that is more than enough. For 2024, if all that we have is a hallelujah, hallelujah means praise God, 
We will praise God and we'll never give glory to the possession. We'll never give glory to our position. We'll never, never give glory to our education and, and, and what, what, whatsoever. God precedes the concept of nothingness. God also precedes the concept of chaos. God is the only entity in existence, the reason of whose existence is in himself. All other entities exist by virtue of something else. And because of that, God alone is perfect. He is the only one that exists by his own virtue. He doesn't have to refer to anything else to justify his existence. But everything else would, would refer to, to something. In fact, everything else should refer to God to justify its existence. God is enough. There was a debate. I can't remember in which book did I, did I read that. There was a debate where people were basically saying, you know, if we go by scientific evidence, it's impossible that the big fish or the whale swallowed Jonah. And one of the theologians said, you know what? Actually, I wouldn't have had any problem if it was actually Jonah that swallowed the big fish. Because God, if God had chosen it to be that way, God could have chosen for Jonah to swallow the big fish. Because what? In the beginning, God. God can decide to do anything that he wants. Otherwise, he's not God. So it's not science that decides the story of the Bible. It's actually God that decided the story of the Bible. So he chose for the fish to swallow Jonah. He could have also chose for Jonah to swallow the fish. I'm just thinking, I mean, just imagine Jonah having that conversation. It's like, guys, being swallowed by the fish was big enough. I mean, do you want me to go and I mean, swallow a big fish for, for three days? Just imagine a man swallowing a whale. You know, it's, it's a... It's like going back to Genesis and just accepting the fact that God can choose his modus operandi, the way that he does his own things. And he did it differently. If you had to announce something, some, something big, you probably set the scene so that people's attention is actually attracted to the announcement. But God does it differently. How does he do it? It's like starting a big announcement with chaos. In the beginning, the earth was formless. God chose to start everything with chaos. We, we wish to start with order. The way you start, that's the way that you're going to finish. That's what we say. But God says, no, I do it differently. I actually start with chaos. In the beginning, I am there. And the first thing that I have is chaos. Now I can start working. Right, Christian. As opposed to what, what we do. Order, then I can start working. Organize, arrange. In our workshop, you know, the, the spanner must be there and all that. There must be order so that I can, I can actually do my work properly. God comes and says, chaos, now I'm ready to start. So if you're going in, in, in reading in, in, in uh, Matthew 11, or maybe Matthew, 11, Matthew 1, sorry, and, and Luke 1. You probably read the story of Jesus, how it all started. I mean, it is starting with Joseph planning to divorce Mary. I mean, you, one wouldn't start a story like that. A story of salvation, it's starting with a desire and a plan. Somebody wanting to divorce. 
But then the angel comes. Maybe we should read that in, in, in uh, Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why? The word divorce actually means to put her away, to send her away. So Joseph was basically planning to say, this is a bad start. Let us just start afresh here. Just go away. Let's undo the past here, and then let's start again. And I'll start with somebody else, because the beginning has to be perfect. The beginning can't, can't start with chaos. Let's start. Let's, let's have a new beginning. Then we can, we can go on. It's actually reminded me of a, of a friend whose wife told him, you know what? The way that we started dating, the fact that you didn't know the Bible, the fact that you are not leading me because your upbringing was a bit not up to par, the way that we started is explanation why our marriage is suffering. Therefore, let us just start again. Let us undo the past. Let's part ways. I'll send you away. Send me away. We divorce and we start at the beginning. God doesn't do that. God actually comes and we read into verse, verse 22. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make Mary, uh, to take Mary home as your wife because, it is, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God comes and says, I'm actually going to start with this. With this chaos, that's how I'm going to start. You don't have to undo the past. You don't have to have a perfect start because I am God. I started the whole world with chaos. I can start with this chaos. If you read in, in Matthew 1, you will see Tamar, who had a child with Judah, who was in the genealogy of, of, of Jesus. Tamar had incest with Judah. But that's now in the genealogy of Jesus. Because that's how God starts. He looks at the mess. He doesn't wipe away the past. He doesn't actually undo the past, but he comes and speaks into the chaos. He doesn't undo the past to get away with the chaos, but actually comes and speaks in that chaos. And today we are singing, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the man that committed incest. God started there in that chaos and actually spoke life into it. Do not get rid of Mary because what is conceived in her is actually the Redeemer, which means the person, the Messiah, the one that is going to come and rescue the situation. He doesn't come and wipe away the past, but he comes and rescue the chaos. You look into the genealogy again, you see Ruth, the Moabite, Jesus is actually coming through that lineage where Ruth the Moabite is included. 
the Moabite, an incestuous tribe. But the father says, I'm going to start the genealogy of Jesus, not by undoing the past, but by coming and redeeming the past, redeeming the situation. And now when the story of Jesus is told, in the centuries to come, Ruth will be mentioned. Tamar will be mentioned. The chaos will be mentioned so that we, the children of God, will know that our Father works with chaos, turns it around, redeems the situation, and tells a new story. How, how many times we have, we have been, I don't it, it actually happens to me, where you remember something in the past and you're like, so, you, you feel like there's like this, this heavy sense of condemnation, where, where you're like, okay, how did I even do that? How did I even do that? Sometimes you wish, one will wish that, you know what, whatever I've done in the past will just disappear. God will just take it away. But the father says, no, I'm not working like that. Go to the beginning. Go to the beginning. I started with chaos. And I can give sure. you a new beginning by redeeming the situation, by redeeming that chaos. David was included in the genealogies of Jesus. David was included. And next to him was Uriah's wife, the mother of Solomon. So he had a son with Uriah's wife. But Jesus included, the father included him into the story of Jesus. When the story of Jesus is told, David will also be mentioned. The same way with each and every one of us. Regardless of the chaos that is lying in our past. The father is not going to come and wipe that away and, and actually uh, do away with that, but he will actually redeem the situation so that when the story of Jesus is told, we will also be mentioned. We will be included. I'd like to, to, to end with this. You know, when, when Steve preached at the, at the end of the year, 2023, last year, sounds like a long time ago, he spoke about the spaganum, the wrapping of Jesus, spoke about the manger, spoke about the shepherd, spoke about the knights in Luke 2 verse 7, I think, 7, 12. That's what the, the, the shepherd saw. I saw in that a picture of chaos. It's like a manger, who actually runs and gives a birth, give birth into a, into a manger? The inns were all full. It's like chaos, chaos, chaos. But the shepherds were there to realize when they, they saw the spaganon, to realize that this was the lamb of God that was being prepared for the salvation of the world. They could see it. It was almost a picture, the lamb of God that was going to be sacrificed it was a picture of chaos. Such chaos that it was actually a picture of death. We say from cradle to grave. That's how we, we do our project. We, do, we go from cradle to grave. But it feels like the father was saying, I'm actually going to give you a picture of the grave first. 
because that's where I know you could be. You could be in the grave. But the one that is born, the Messiah is the one that will take you from grave to cradle. From grave to a new life. The Messiah will come and speak into death, but actually life will come out of that. He's going to be buried, but when on the third day he will be resurrected, he will also speak life on each and everyone who has accepted him as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.